Welcome to the Horror Babble Originals podcast. You're listening to Hammer and Nails. This is Episode 6, Van Melsen and the Hammerton Horror. Okay, Diane, we are rolling. Thanks, Andy. And they don't mind you smoking in here? Oh, I'm on the herbals, Diane. Tantamount to incense. Fair enough. (laughs) Hello, you're listening to The Woodrow Show. This is your host, Diane Woodrow. Our conversation with renowned PI Peter Van Melsen concludes today as we learn what it was that allowed him to expose the truth behind the Hammerton Horror the terrible story of a group of hapless teenagers and a remote property on the Yorkshire coast. Once again, I'm speaking with Peter in the quiet solitude of Rosedale Chapel, here in the Howardian Hills of North Yorkshire. Peter. Yes? So far, we've heard of your exploits in tracking down the someone or something responsible for the mysterious deaths in the Howardian Hills. Last time, we closed with your return to Fossbridge, the deserted hamlet some several miles south of your ultimate destination, the Blackwood Estate. Ah, yes. From Mrs Ferguson's abandoned house, I set off on a lengthy tramp across the coastal moorland, towards that curious patch of shaded woodland. As I said, it was a cool, calm day offering nothing whatsoever to suggest an incursion of any kind on the part of the thing that had attempted to put me off on previous occasions. I clutched my cumbersome copy of bold evocations closely, for I was absolutely certain that the grimoire would be my only protection against the forces awaiting me. I hiked for somewhere in the region of an hour, I believe, before I began to perceive a possible ingress into the dark forest and as I neared that ingress, I quickly surmised that the route had been carved by deer, or such like, praying with every portion of my being that the path hadn't been carved by that damnable grinning meatball. (laughs) The light of day was fading fast, and so, as I stepped into the dense forest, I withdrew my trusty pocket-torch, certain it would serve me well in the undergrowth. Were there any signs of man-made tracks? Hmm? Footprints? None. Which I have to admit did little to assuage my trepidation. But on I pressed, heedless, determined to reach the hidden house that I was certain would be waiting for me beyond the trees. I consulted my compass regularly, felt as though I'd been walking for hours, when, finally, I noticed a dim light ahead of me. I approached the light cautiously, Diane, mindful of what may or may not be lingering in the gathering darkness. 
The woods of Great Britain are strange places at the best of times. I've trod many a forest floor, from the expanses of Sherwood to the ancient groves of Galloway, and more than once I've encountered the very definition of high strangeness amongst the trees. But there was something about that coastal patch that filled my heart with stark horror. It was as though a blight had spread from tree to tree, a scourge whose source was undoubtedly to be found at the forest centre. But still I persisted, my iron will overcoming my consternation, until I stood at the edge of a glowing glade, looking out at last upon a familiar sight, the strange house I'd glimpsed in the illusory world under the influence of punk. Wow! My unspoken sentiments were along similar lines at the time, Diane. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I hesitated only a moment, then stepped out into the glade, onto the old stones of what had once been a pathway. And then the strangest thing happened. How can I describe it? Hmm. Well, imagine, if you will, an invisible veil— draped over the forest. It plays on your senses, stimulates fear, turmoil, trepidation. Well, in stepping into that glade, I felt as though I'd conquered our would-be vampire's final safeguard, an intangible cloud of despair designed to repel me. A moment of triumph, to be sure. But ahead of me stood the old house, Blackwood's Manor House, its walls crawling with yellowing ivy, its ancient windows opaque with condensation, its gable roof obscured by moss and mould. Ghastly though the sight was, I wasn't about to allow my revived conviction to go to waste. And so, without hesitation, I approached the tarnished door, pushed it open, stepped inside. Where are you? You can't hide from me in the flesh, Blackwood. Hmm. Blackwood? I know who you are. And through some infernal chemistry, you've managed to survive all these years. Hmm. What does it take to live forever, Blackwood? Show yourself, man. <laughs> Hmm. There's no Blackwood here, Mr. Van Nelson. No? Then who are you? My name is Legacy. Legacy? That's the name I was given. The name you were given? By whom? Mr. Blackwood. You're my legacy, he would say. My legacy. Don't you see, Mr. Van Melsen? I... Well, no, I don't. Who are you, really? I just told you. I'm Legacy. Blackwood's Legacy. What? What? What happened to you? Did Blackwood do that to you? Oh, Blackwood didn't do anything to me, Mr. Van Melsen. As a matter of fact, I have Mr. Blackwood to thank. For my very existence. But, but you're... You're a... A monster? Yes. 
We're all monsters, Mr. Van Melsen. Stay where you are, Legacy. When Mr. Blackwood passed on, I had little choice but to source my nutrients elsewhere. Nutrients? The human beings you've preyed upon? Nutrients? Is that how you feel about pork or poultry, Mr. Van Melsen? Well... My needs are the same as yours, except that I don't have a choice. I didn't request this existence. I was the will of another. The result of greed. Of, dare I say it, madness. Well, stay where you are! You believe that it's some physical weakness that has forsaken me all these years. Mm. Some pitiful decrepitude brought on by lack of nourishment. How wrong you are, Mr. Van Melsen. What? It's this inhuman form, this mockery of symmetry that has prevented me from moving amongst the living. Oh, I've ventured out in times of desperation more than once. No. Fared well in Fosbridge. But you know all about that, don't you, Mr. Van Melsen? <laughs> Stay back, I said. I can no longer risk exposure. My home must remain a sanctuary. The humble Wandermoth has been my only recourse, notwithstanding those occasional side effects. Hallucinations be damned. But... I get what I need, most of the time. (laughs) Imagine their faces, Mr. Van Melsen, your fellow human beings, young and fearful, drawn to my lair to be consumed, torn asunder by these serrated teeth, digested in this cauldron of a belly. Eat well, live forever. That's what Mr. Blackwood used to say. You're not afraid, are you? Never. You? A man who has faced a thousand monsters in his time? Back, I yelled, and still the creature moved towards me, edging ever closer. And it was salivating Diane. Its mouth, a poorly fashioned orifice, the scarring of stitching marring it from left to right, oozed a dark substance which dripped onto the polished floor. Ugh, sounds positively repulsive, Peter. It was an abomination, Diane. Gazing at it, I saw the beast of Sutton Bank, coarse fur covering puffy arms, and legs riddled with growths and lumps. As I listened to it, I heard the awful tones of James Barker's laughing man. It was the Dreadful amalgamation of all the weird things the boys had glimpsed in the illusory world. The monsters made flesh during Patrick Jones's guided journeys. Whatever form it had taken in the beginning had been lost in the wake of a gradual and shocking metamorphosis. In the end, there was only one way to destroy the thing. And in so doing, I was able to verify that it hadn't ever been. A human being. Please elaborate. The thing had me cornered, Diane. So out came Karnaki's book, and my last line of defence. A spray bottle, filled to the brim with a solution of jimson-weed-infused punk and tap water. Back, Legacy. Stay back. 
I would have fed well on the boys. Jones, for sure. But that stuff, that poison they consumed, showed them the way, brought you to my door. Where are you? Where are you? I need my nutrients, Mr. Van Melsen. I must eat. Mm. Haven't eaten for a long time. I must have my nutrients. Uh, oh, you'll get your nutrients all right. <coughs> what? What is this? The effects were almost immediate. Coughing and spluttering, the legacy fell victim to a punk-induced phantasmagoria. Its strange body rocked to and fro, as its horribly distorted appendages fought off numerous invisible assailants. Visions of his victims, perhaps? You mustn't concern yourself with what it saw, Diane. In any case, the spraying of that bottle bought me a few vital seconds. Let me be. Let me be. Let me be. Coot, slent, star, what? duress. Where? Okay. Coot in slent. What? Star in duress. Where? Yes, yes. Mar in fress. Teress in pass. Is that you, Mr. Blackwood? <laughs> Coot in slent. No. Star in duress. No. It wasn't my fault. It was. Oh, yes. Oh. Mar in fresh, Tress in pass. What happened to it? It melted, Diane. Melted like gelato on a hot day. Like butter in a microwave. Like... Okay, okay. I get it. <laughs> Excuse me. Just tell me one thing. Fire away. What the heck was it? I mean, you said you were able to verify that it hadn't ever been a human being. Well, what on God's green earth was it? Well, Diane, my instinct saved me on this occasion, I believe. Let me say that if I hadn't consulted my copy of Bold Evocations on the journey over to Fosbridge, I might have been ill-equipped to defend myself. You see, I was convinced that the mastermind in this case had been Thomas Blackwood, who through some diabolical means had managed to live for two centuries by subsisting off the flesh, blood, and bone of unsuspecting victims lured to his isolated house. Yes. And so, with that in mind, I'd consulted Karnacki's book in an effort to understand how such a thing might have been accomplished. In doing so, I stumbled upon something crucial—an article concerning the subject of reanimation. I wasn't completely unfamiliar with the method outlined in the book, but I'd never actually heard of such a method being employed. Essentially, it entails the assembly of carefully selected body parts—animal, mineral, you name it. A certain evocation can be utilized to imbue the various parts and pieces with a sort of a rudimentary consciousness. Where this consciousness comes from exactly—well, that's another matter altogether. Nasty business, I know. 
but Karnaki, bless him, was kind enough to include an incantation he acquired from a sorcerer in Ireland, a spell designed to undo the initial evocation, in effect to dispel the monster's consciousness. This, ultimately, is what reduced the unspeakable thing to a pool of repugnant blubber, with a little help from my punk solution, of course. So Legacy was what? A sort of Frankenstein's monster? <laughs> well, why not? That's as good a comparison as any. Though I must say the human component was severely lacking. After reducing the creature to pulp, what was next on your agenda? Well, naturally, I had a good old-fashioned nosy. Amongst the valuable artefacts, paintings, furniture, etc., I found a number of diaries kept by the late Thomas Blackwood. In them, he described his life and crimes, the nature of his work in exile, his plans for the future, and his legacy. By all accounts, he was a fascinating character— if unfortunately flawed by a tendency to operate outside the confines of the law. And I believe some of those diaries are now in the possession of the British Library. Yeah, so they tell me, Diane. So they tell me. But it's the one in the hands of the North Yorkshire Police I imagine most folks are eager to get their hands on. The so-called Red Book. Of course. Did you learn anything significant from it before handing it over? Only what I needed to learn, Diane. That ultimately, Thomas Blackwood was responsible for the deaths and disappearances of many an innocent citizen. That thing he conjured up was intended to provide him with assistance in his latter years. But it seems as though the man died before his time, leaving the thing to live on in his absence. To tell you the truth, I'm reasonably sure the creature was responsible for his death— Listening to Legacy in its death throes, it was lamenting in what it perceived to be the man's presence. You think it killed him? Oh, I, I think it ate him. <laughs> yes. And the rest, as you know, is history. I returned to Rosedale, contacted DCI Brent, and sent him on to the Blackwood estate, advising him to avoid what might appear to be little more than whale blubber in the entrance hall. A press conference was held, connecting the deaths of Grant Smith, James Barker, the missing daughter of Alice Hargreaves, and many others, to the strange being that had occupied the Blackwood estate, the thing that had dwelt there for almost two centuries. It's a truly incredible account, Peter. Yes. Having listened to you describe the events in such minute detail, I find it utterly astonishing that you were able to not only track this creature down, but also that you were able to eliminate it in such an effective manner. I, well, as I often am actually, was very fortunate, Diane. The stars were aligned in my favour. Had I been there without that book? Well, it doesn't bear thinking about. If you hadn't been in possession of that book, would you have stood a chance? Well, it's hard to say. I might have been consumed, added to its body, so to speak, incorporated somehow. Or it might have attempted to take me over, to have me carry out its wicked business in some ghastly capacity. 
The punk solution might have provided a means of escape, but as I say, it really doesn't bear thinking about. I'm still troubled, Diane. The beast of Sutton Bank, for all intents and purposes, is still out there. If so, then the Laughing Man and the Winged Furball of Wigan are probably out there too. But I like to believe that these entities, these hallucinations made flesh, no longer exist, that they simply ceased to be following the deaths of their creators. But one must be rational when it comes to the question of belief. Incidentally, I'm still in touch with Patrick Jones. He tells me he no longer hears laughter throughout the house after dark. The end of the Hamilton horror? All aspects of the thing? Let's hope so. How are we doing, Andy? It's about that time, Diane. Okay, great. Nancy, after we've wrapped, can you start clearing this furniture away? No problem. Well, the clock is ticking and we're rapidly running out of time. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for sharing your extraordinary story with us, Peter. You're welcome. I'm hopeful that your story, and the case in general, will allow for an opening of minds up and down the country. Of course. Let us reconsider the things we take for granted. To remember that the world in which we live is full of marvels and dangers, that nothing is ever quite what it seems. Thank you for the invitation, Diane. It has been a pleasure. Perhaps we can do it again sometime. Certainly, Diane. I've many, many stories to tell. I'll hold you to that. <laughs> yes, I imagine you will, Diane. And that brings us to the end of our conversation with Mr Van Melson. We hope you found the series informative and revelatory. And who knows, perhaps we'll sit down again with Peter in the future. You just named the time and place, Diane. Thanks, Peter. <laughs> it simply remains for me to say that you've been listening to The Woodrow Show with me, your host, Diane Woodrow. Our guest has been the renowned paranormal investigator, Peter Van Melsen. For information regarding future series, be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed. In the meantime, feel free to share your thoughts in the comments section. Until next time. Thank you again, Diane. I'd best be off. I... You have been listening to Hammer and Nails, a Horror Babble original podcast. This episode was recorded and produced by Ian and Jennifer Gordon. Starring Ian Gordon as Peter Van Melsen, Jennifer Gordon as Diane Woodrow, Max Rudd as Andy Perkins, Jess Gordon as Nancy Peterson, Simon Stanhope as Legacy. Story and ambient music by Ian Gordon. Artwork by Duncan Kay. Title music, Van Melsen's theme by David Jeffries. Special thanks to Patrick McCone, producer. Copyright 2022 by Horror Babble.